Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure. Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And of course, they have Junior Bergen t-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at uh, ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. At Blackfoot Communications, we're experts at keeping your business technology up and running from networks and security to communications and 24-7 support. Our team works with you to understand your technology demands, then deploys the right solution for your unique needs. Whether your company is just starting out or is looking to take the next step, Blackfoot is here to help. Call 866-541-5000 or visit goblackfoot.com business. Blackfoot, connect to more. It's 4 o'clock. Welcome to Tutel and Nuanes, Montana's only statewide sports talk show. Montana. Broadcast on 102.9 ESPN Radio for Western Montana and across the state on SWS Television. I like football! Now, sports talk from Montana for Montana. Live from the Kurtz Polaris studio, here is Ryan Tutel and Coulter Nuanes. Hello, Montana. The Bucks boycott. Man, everybody boycotts. And Will Cherry on the show. It is Tutel and Nuanas. It is 1029 ESPN Radio. It is SWX Montana Television across the 406. Outstanding to be with you on this very fine Wednesday afternoon. Hope you are having a wonderful day. We appreciate that very much. Thanks for being with us. We are grateful to have you here and to be along with you, whatever it is you're up to. To all of the kids who started their first day of school, like my daughter did kindergarten today, uh, you know, great for you. My hearts are with all the parents because, you know, it's just, it's been one of those days. Uh, we are glad to be along with you. If you want to get in here, 361-3688, 361-3688. All guests join us via the Rangish Brothers RV phone line. You can certainly text that line as well. And if you'd like to listen live, you go onto the stream. The stream is available anytime you would like to listen to it all the time. And you can listen live into what's going on on the station, including this show from 4 to 6 Mountain every weekday. Uh, go ahead and check it out on the uh, World Wide Web there. 
The stream available thanks to Opportunity Bank of Montana, your local bank, your opportunity. Uh, so very much to get into today. Uh, these are the days, Coulter, when you and I complain that we're not on the air for eight, nine hours a day, that this is the reason why we need eight or nine hours a day to do what we got to do today. Uh, but we will get into quite a number of things. First of all, we're going to hear from Mick Holine. Mick Holine, the voice of the Grizz for many years. He is the first subject of our Grizz Greats Silver Anniversary of the 1995 National Champions podcast series. We are rolling that out today. We are excited to have that, excited to release that, and we'll bring you a little snippet of that uh, uh, interview that we did with him. Ton of fun, great great storyteller, funny guy, and uh, and awesome to sit and and and, uh, and talk with him. So we'll bring you some of that and, uh, and kind of turn you on to the podcast which is not out yet. It is not out yet, but it will be out uh, later on this evening, and you can listen to it, you know, well, anytime you'd like to, all through the weekend, everything like that. It is a Wing It Wednesday. We're going to get you some wings to the Desperado, do a little bit of trivia with you today. Coulter and I are out tomorrow and Friday, okay? We had a pre-planned vacation, uh, not uh, not together. We're going to go, you know, our separate ways and return. But uh, we will do today the chick who doesn't know sports because we won't be here on Friday to do it. So, Carolyn was uh, willing to come in a day early and hang out and do that do that with us so we'll have some fun there top of the hour very excited will cherry will cherry professional basketball player he's played in about six different countries overseas he's preparing for yet another season just 29 years of age and one of the all-time great montana grizzly basketball players and and maybe the all-time greatest montana basketball player interviewee that we have uh have found maybe period they don't even qualify it as as much well, Blaine taylor played for the grizz once upon a time well yeah okay yeah Blaine taylor's Blaine pretty Taylor's good one of the pretty good too that's ever like lived but uh it it was a ton of fun to talk with will cherry we spoke with him yesterday and we will bring you that interview in its entirety for our roundtable today so uh, we will get into all that before we go one step further since it's wednesday but it's the last day of our week we are going to have ourselves a Florence Coffee Company coffee break right here and right now. Florence Coffee Company, out there, close to you, wherever you are. I got myself a Lotus today, Coulter. I got a four-day weekend staring at me here, so I'm going to stay up late tonight. You know what I mean? I'm going to hang out. I'm going to help do kindergarten homework with my one child. I'm going to help prepare the third grader for her first day, and uh, we're going to have ourselves a fine, fine evening in the Tutel household. These Lotus, man, these like plant-based energy drinks they got over there, super tasty. Not like, you know, your traditional energy drinks made from a base of green uh uh, a green coffee bean as well as some vitamins in there b12 and so forth a great source of energy and it is certainly energy to burn if you uh, are looking for it Coulter got his normal iced coffee still very warm out there hot set, uh, summer day stop by the Florence Coffee Company Florence, Florence Coffee Company very close to you right now drop in and have a nice little midweeker thanks to the Florence Coffee Company for sponsoring the coffee break Coulter uh, we don't have a ton of time, but we have some time, and we've been doing a book of the day club, and uh, given the events which have just transpired, which we will touch on here at the top, the NBA not playing games tonight. The Milwaukee Bucks boycotting uh, their game tonight, and that uh, sort of spread, and I, I still am unclear whether the other teams that were set to play tonight also chose independently or, or as a result of that to boycott or whether this was a league-wide decision. But at some point, Milwaukee started it, obviously in the state of Wisconsin, and then the rest of the, the games this evening have been delayed, postponed, etc. So we will uh, get into that. But the book today... 
perhaps perhaps timely. Well, absolutely. I chose this book, and for those who have been following along, I have this library of sports books. Our SWX viewers can see it. Our radio folks can imagine it. I got to apologize. I'm, uh, I'm having a bit of an allergy moment right now. But the book I chose today from my library is called Unforgivable Blackness, The Rise and Fall of Jack Johnson. And this is an incredible book and an incredible story. Uh, Jack Johnson was the first black heavyweight champion of the world. He was the heavyweight champion of the world in 1908, if you can imagine that. America was hardly segregated at all, or, or hardly integrated, I should say, at all in that moment in time. And uh, sports were decades away from being integrated. I don't even believe the United States military had been integrated at that point yet. So um, the story, the reason, the Unforgivable Blackness is a perfect title because this is not just a story about how big of a struggle it was to be a rich, famous black man in America in the right. late 1900s. It's as much about the loathing he received from white Americans as well as the loathing he received from black Americans because they were all struggling and he was not. So he was stuck in the middle where nothing he could do was good enough for anybody but himself. But he himself identified that and Jack Johnson lived a life uh, completely above all of that scrutiny uh, to the point where then he was arrested and had to go to jail for some pretty non-valid things. So uh, definitely a timely um, book, given what's going on in America today. It's crazy. That's 112 years ago, and we have made so much progress and have made hardly any progress at all at the same time. Right. I mean, it, it, it is. It's it's uh, it's remarkable that the story of Jack Johnson still rings so profound, not merely as a history, but as, you know, a present tense in many ways. Uh as it pertains to the sports world today, again, this is breaking within the last hour, but the Milwaukee Bucks uh, have chosen to boycott their uh, basketball game this evening that was set to take place against the Orlando Magic in light of the shooting that took place uh, two days ago in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Uh, obviously very near Milwaukee, Kenosha, Wisconsin if is in, in you know southeast Wisconsin area there. And they chose to do that. And then the NBA then as a result did as an association postpone all three games scheduled for this evening. So there'll be no NBA basketball uh, in in the bubble tonight as a matter of of boycott and attention bringing to this. And Coulter, we've seen the NBA do a lot of things from Black Lives Matter on the floor to uh, various, you know, calls for equality, for justice on the jerseys. Uh, they've been, you know, very forward in, in, in all of those sort of not merely symbolic, a very, very uh, direct calls for justice, for racial equality, and uh, and for uh, protection uh, from from police brutality in the areas and the instances where that has taken place, and then you see another instance of of unmitigated, un unforgivable violence propagated by. A, a white police officer towards an African-American, towards a black man. And that this is, I've never seen something like this, where an NBA team, and by the way, before the th thing was postponed, the Bucks said as a team, we're not playing today, period. We're not going out there to, first of all, because we don't feel right about playing, and second of all, because we want people to draw attention to what is going on, and we're not, we're not standing for this. We're not playing for this. I think they were prepared to take a loss tonight, right? To just get, forfeit the game and have it be 3-2 in the series, uh, which is 
a significant step. The NBA as an association said, okay, well, what are we going to do here? And they have now postponed all the games, and I don't think anybody knows what the future holds now for basketball in the bubble. I realize that there is no such thing as a non-political thing in the world today, at least in the United States, it seems like, right? Um, It feels like calls for racial justice, for equality, for all of us to be treated equally in every arena and area of life should be a non-controversial subject. It isn't. I don't know why it isn't. I don't know why that shouldn't just be the norm. As Doc Rivers said in his press conference yesterday, I don't know why I can't just coach basketball. I want to just coach basketball, but I'm not able to because of who I am and what I'm reminded of, of what color I am each and every day and the swirling polemics of the world that are taking place in this country right now. I'm not here to make any any sort of political stand about anything. What I am saying is we are not close to racial equality, even as we sit here in what I think is a pretty amazing place with so very many amazing people in the state of Montana. And I think, in my experience, is in an interesting way, one of, if I might say, the most, one of the most enlightened spots in the, in the country, odd as it sounds, given what I think people think of about Montana when they're you know from elsewhere. And yet, we see this, it's a part of what, we are right now as a country, what we are going through as a country, and now it has entered so very directly into the sports world, particularly into this very limited sports landscape that we have as it is. And this is as stark a choice uh, as I've ever seen a sports individual or team make in something like this. And, you know, I applaud the Milwaukee Bucks for taking that course of action and we will see how it transpires and what comes of this from a basketball standpoint and from a wider world standpoint. What changes are prompted by this, if any? I certainly hope there are some. There's so many different avenues and so many different of points you just made that I want to address. First, before I forget, because this isn't part of the conversation that we're having, but I think it deserves to be at least emphasized and stated. Uh, what you said about Montana is so spot on and I've thought about that dynamic for so long because there's certainly rural states, there's certainly states that are vast majority Caucasian people, uh, but very few of them have the complete and utter lack of racism that Montana has. And I'm not saying that Montana's completely abstained from it or completely outside of racism and racial injustice, racial tensions, but it seems to be not nearly a part of the the fabric of our culture as much as it is in a lot of other places with similar racial demographics. And the thing that drives me absolutely nuts, and I'm reminded of it every single time it's an election year, I don't want to go too far down the political road, but this has nothing to do with being on the right or the left, being a Democrat or a Republican. The way that the mainstream national media spins Montana politics is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. They pin us like it's this crazy red state where, I mean, like at the Republican National Convention the other night, the guy who spoke on behalf of Montana is talking about how every Montanan has five guns. It's just a, it's a blatant stereotypical lie. Uh, that, but that's not what I'm trying to address. Montana, it seems, is completely ignored when it comes to 
presidential and Senate and congressional elections because it's just assumed these guys are just going to vote Republican. But that's not true. Montana has one of the great political discourses in all of America. Montana, I think you could pin less as being a red or blue state as anyone, even if maybe Montana has voted in the presidential election red for decades. Part of that's just because the biggest town in Montana, I mean, what? two-fifths of the state's population lives in Billings? Or, I mean, what, what, 20%, I guess, of the state population lives mm-hmm. in Billings or in that area? Regardless, all I'm saying is that I just think Montanans on a national level don't get enough credit. Well, usually we we've had one and one senator, one Republican, one Democrat, right. and we've sort of vacillated back and forth at the governor level, and I think well, that's but, fantastic but to be had, able to, we've had, to do that. We've, right? had, we've had four, what, no, three Democratic governors out of the last four. Mm-hmm. I think that says all you need to know about Montana if you're analyzing it from a broad perspective. Might vote red in the in the presidential election, but it's a blue state when it comes to the governor. So that's the dichotomy of Montana. It, people in Montana actually make decisions based on independence, not based on political party. That rant is completely aside, though. The the what happened in Wisconsin um, was unbelievable. It was cowardly. I think it raises again so many issues that we have, not just racial injustice, not still the racism that exists in America, but also uh, the fundamental mistraining and undertraining of our police officers, the inability to de-escalate a situation. I mean, I, I can't believe uh, these guys need to take go to take a martial arts class or something. Like you need to learn how to control the emotions of the moment. There's so many different steps you can take as an armed police officer before you have to shoot someone in the back. To get to that point is just completely outside of my mind. It was very interesting listening to Doc Rivers talk about this because Doc Rivers, he grew up on the east side of Chicago and his father was the chief of police in the suburb that they lived in. A black man, chief of police in Chicago in the 50s and 60s. And Doc Rivers was on the flying coach podcast with uh, Pete Carroll and Steve Kerr recently. And he talked all about that. He talked about what a crazy feeling it was to know that my father not only will protect me because he's my father, but he's the boss of the protectors. Yet none of the people that I know in my community feel protected by the people that work for my father. Mm. How crazy is that? He talked about the, his father, sitting down all the black boys in the neighborhood and and say when they're like 12 years old and said, here's what you do if a cop comes up to you because it's going to happen and you need to know how to defuse the situation because you're going to be racially profiled. These are people that work for Doc Rivers' father. He's warning them about these people because not even he can control it, even as a chief of police in that area. So Doc Rivers, I think he has a absolutely firsthand view of all of this stuff. This is how he grew up. He's experienced this his whole life. But I, I do think that I think that it's uh, a, um, an incredible statement what the NBA players did today. I just wonder if it will resonate. I thought st- I was just listening to ESPN radio while I was getting us our Florence coffee and Stephen A. Smith. He, he was on, uh, I believe, Max Kellerman's show. And he, he was saying that the unfortunate part of the state of our society right now is that the vast majority of, of the people that will support this action have already been won over and are already pushing the envelope with the people that are boycotting for the people that are being exploited. And the sad truth is the people that we're trying to win over, the people that you're trying to make see the light, the the people that think that this isn't inappropriate action will only see this as an emphasis of what they already believe, not a change 
in the the way that we operate as a people. And I think that's the unfortunate part. But I think it's it's great that these guys did it. I personally thought it would have had more impact if the Milwaukee Bucks would have done it solely and taken the loss themselves. But we're not here to split hairs because I do think it was a statement that was unprecedented, at least when it comes to the NBA, and hopefully one that resonates. Yeah, well, and I, I think they may have been prepared to do just that before the league chose to then step in and, and just postpone the whole day. And, uh, and you know, we'll see where we're at tomorrow uh, with, uh, with the NBA and with the playoffs. For what it's worth, man's name is Jacob Blake. He was shot in the back seven times, unarmed, in front of his children. You know, that is what happened in Kenosha, Wisconsin two days ago. We'll take a break. We'll come back. And we will do some sports. Tell Nuanas. It's 1029 ESPN Radio. It's SWX Montana Television. It's good to be with all of you. We appreciate you being with us. Uh, so now we talk about Mick Holine and the 1995 National Champions. It is an odd thing to do live radio in uh, 2020, man. Like, there's just no really great way to get around it. And so that's what we're doing uh, because that's what we do here. But uh, we were very excited and are very excited to be releasing today our Grizz Grace Silver Anniversary of the 1995 National Champions Podcast Series. Uh, we have done, what, about 10 interviews for this so far, Coulter, of various players, coaches, and uh, other personnel affiliated with this football team uh, that was so a very, I mean, so so uh, instrumental in bringing about what became the 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 monster that was Grizz football and and really that still is Grizz football I mean in so many ways uh but also was the team that really broke well obviously that broke through for the first time in terms of a national championship and what that was and we talked a lot about well how do we want to open this what who's the person who is the individual that we think would be best to sort of give that full overview and setup and we both agreed Mick Holine is that guy Mick Holine was at the University of Montana in one capacity or another starting in 1985 into what 2015 something like that I mean you're talking about 30 years 40 years that he was with the team and 30 years I guess incredible run uh for uh for Mick and started calling Grizz games in 1993 uh, and you'll hear the story here, so I don't want to give it all away, but was on the call for the entire 1995 season and obviously that 1995 national championship. And it's twofold. Any broadcaster, play-by-play, beat writer that is uh, covering a team, calling games for a team, have a very unique perspective because – they are not taking in the game as a fan, though they might be a fan. They are taking in the game professionally and doing a lot of work to know all the things that they need to know about the team that they cover and the opponent, the opponents of that team. And 
you know, are generally speaking uh, not tailgating, shall we say, before the games and are, are uh, you know, lucid and able to sort of understand and remember all the thing, you know, everything that's going on. But also they're not a part of the team and so close to it that that they get this this great sort of holistic view of everything that has gone on. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, as we discussed before, in 1995, you're not watching Grizz football on TV. Like the fact that it was on, I think ESPN two, the national championship, a huge deal for Montana, for the university, for the state to be able to watch a Grizz game. If they were playing on the road at Boise, at Idaho, wherever it might be, you were listening to Mick Holine. That's that is who was the individual that gave you that window into you know into Grizz football. And so uh, I thought, you know, we both thought that it would be great to have him be the one that sort of opened this thing up for us. Mick's voice and calls were synonymous because I think that's one of the number one points I want to hammer home with this podcast series is that the Grizz fan base and Grizz Nation, as as so many call it, is among the most passionate and among and has among the highest expectations of any fan base in college football. But in the arc of college football, the University of Montana has been a national power for a very brief moment in time compared to how long it takes to first establish and then maintain a reputation as a national power, no matter what level of college football you're talking about. Most of the powers as we know them right now have been good forever. They've been the Blue Bloods forever. Mm -hmm. Oklahoma was as as good as they are now in the 40s. Notre Dame was better than they ever were in the 20s. The Ivy League schools were running it in the 1800s, early 1900s. Montana has only been a nationally relevant program at the one double A level since 1989. The level has only been around since 1978. So it's pretty young as well. And that's not to say that's not to demean Grizz teams of the past. There was that really nice run in the late sixties where Montana uh, went to the Camilla bowl two years in a row, 1969, 1970. Those were good teams, but the true golden age of Grizz football was ushered in by this group of guys and Mick Holine, his career at least when it came to calling football games began during the very first step which was the 1993 team Dave Dickinson's first year as a starter and then really hit a fever pitch in 1995 so I think that because his evolution was went hand in hand with the stark and meteoric rise of Grizz football that that was why he was definitely the guy to kick this thing off uh, the uh, Grizz Greats podcast series is brought to us in part by Blackfoot Communications. You know Blackfoot Communications for their dedication and commitment to support the communities they serve. Did you also know they're experts at keeping customers and businesses connected to their families and clients? At home, Blackfoot keeps you connected with fast internet, reliable phone, and work-from-home options for your business, Blackfoot keeps you connected with secure corporate networks, unified communications, and remote workforce solutions. For more information, visit grizzgreats.com or call 866-541-5000, 866-541-5000. Blackfoot, connect to more. Enjoy this excerpt from our first episode of the Grizz Great Silver Anniversary Podcast with Mick Holine. We are very happy to be joined now with the voice of the Grizzlies for many, many years, Mick Holine. Mick, thank you so much for being with us. How are you? Oh, good morning, fellas. Just great memories. You kind of let it, it kind of goes away for a while and 
and you get a chance to think about it more. But this really brought back some great memories. You know, we're, we're looking forward to reliving those memories with you. But before we get into all that was the 95 season and the national championship, uh, you know, game and victory, want to ask about you a little bit. You're a lifelong broadcaster, a very decorated broadcaster and author as well, writing quite a lot. But when did you start at the University of Montana? Because when you first started, you weren't actually calling football games right away. Is that right? Well, I actually, in 1984, when I moved, when I moved to Missoula, funny story, I was playing country music for KGBO, and my salesperson, I asked her, if you were new in town, what would you do to make a mark in town? And she said, well, I'd associate myself with the University of Montana. Several years later, she said, I said associate myself, not take it over. <laughs> that, was about the way, that was about the way it happened. Uh, they had a tryout for uh, the PA at uh, Dorn Blazer Field for the last two seasons, playing in front of the wood bleachers. I won the tryout. There were two of us. <laughs> and uh, they said, we'll give you 25 bucks a game, peanut butter sandwich, a Snickers bar, and an orange, and two free tickets to every Grizzly football game at Dorn Blazer. I said, boy, that sounds like a heck of a deal, 25 bucks. They're still paying 25 bucks, I think. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, uh, I did that. And during that time, uh, Barbara Holman, the associate athletic director said, we need a new, uh, voice of the lady Grizz. That was 85. And, uh, so I got a chance to do lady Grizz for eight years with Robin Selvick rooming with him for eight years and, uh, on the road and, just six trips to the NCAA, NCAA tournament. And uh, after that eight-year tenure, Bill Swanky resigned as the voice of the Grizz. And they came to me and offered me the job and said, that the committee thinks you're trying to big-time them. You didn't apply for the job. And I had just started at the Missoulian as a full-time staffer. And I said, I can't go, go to them. And I'm lucky enough they're letting me do Lady Grizz. I can't go to them and say I want to do football, too. I said, well, the job's yours. We're not going to do a nationwide search if you want the job. So I thought about it for a day or so, a minute or so, and uh, went into my boss, Brad Hurd, and told him he was a diehard Grizzly fan and a diehard Lady Grizz fan, and he saw that there was value in my voice being associated with both the newspaper and with radio. So I was lucky enough that a guy... It was ahead of his time in those things. I tried for years to get him to do headlines with me, with my voice for the next day's paper. And they wouldn't do it because they figured then TV would steal their stories. Well, what do we got now? Everybody's working for everybody. So anyway, that's how I started. Lucky enough to be there starting in 1993. You know, Mick, it, it's interesting because as you said, you know, you're, you're the voice of the Lady Grizz for, for all those years before you started with men's basketball and football, but you're still around the program and working as a journalist as well. But when when you started in 1993 to be the voice of the Grizz, 
What was your relationship like with Coach Reed at that time, who'd obviously been here for some years and had really started to build the program up, and it had a little bit of up and down, but generally was headed in the right direction, and obviously a guy that seemed to be everybody's friend, you know? And what, what was your relationship like with him, and then what did it become as you became then the voice of, of the football team as well, and, and obviously then have a closer relationship with the head coach? Well, I was one of the good guys. <laughs> And I bet all you guys were one of the good guys also, if you were around the team at all. Everybody was one of the good guys because Don couldn't remember your name. <laughs> if, if anybody does, anybody that knows him well would know that a player would walk up to him and he'd go, hey, H. Then he'd walk away and he'd go back. i say, Mike Earhart. <laughs> he, he didn't. Could not remember people's names. You know, uh, Snickers Bar and your... Uh, in your little uh, mailbox on Monday morning, uh, an attaboy uh, note, uh, just a just a phone call to say, "Hey, uh, I really enjoyed what you had to say." At uh, first, I emceed several banquets with him and took him on the road several times where I introduced him. And uh, they didn't want me; they wanted Coach Reed. So whenever someone would ask me, like for a chamber of commerce somewhere. I'd take Coach Long and let him win the crowd over, and I'd sit over and eat their prime rib. There you go. That's a good way to get a meal out of the deal at least, right? Yeah, and, you know, Don was, you know, you hesitate to say he's like your grandpa because I'm not that much younger than he is. But I don't think we'll ever know how old he is exactly. He's never told anybody. And I've got it written somewhere in an envelope that I cannot reveal until after he's gone. But uh, he's just one of these guys that cares so much about people and his fellow man. And uh, he's just in the right place at the right time. There are guys who are head coaches and there are guys who are assistant coaches. And uh, that's a huge line. And he's, he's right at the top of the list. We get a bit into the uh, the impact he had a little bit more, but I want to ask you, preceding Coach Reed, I know Jack Swarthout was an awesome coach and led the Grizzlies to uh, a couple of their greatest seasons to that point in the late '60s, early '70s. But then, not so much success for guys like Gene Carlson and Larry Donovan. I know, I know that uh, when Larry Donovan w- was dismissed, that was sort of a a pivotal moment for the University of Montana football program set the scene for us. I mean, what, what was the perception of Grizz football around Missoula, around Montana and, and around the big sky conference right before coach Reed was hired? I mean, we're talking early eighties. What did people think of the Grizz? What was their reputation like compared to what it became? Oh, we were playing for fifth, you know, we played behind the three schools that left in Montana state. Therefore we'd be playing for fifth. That's how much we were. Nobody cared about, coming to Missoula and playing against us because there was no aura. There was no people. But when Coach Reed came, he changed all that. But, you know, Coach Donovan uh, was a large part responsible for getting that stadium built. And him and Harley Lewis putting their heads together and figuring out that it was going to be a, uh, a cornerstone of campus and a cornerstone of that walking trail. And uh, I, I give Larry a lot of credit. Uh, I had a bad situation with him at the end. It took him uh, several years 
that weren't even talked to me. I uh, he wouldn't come on my program on Thursday. They were going to play Northern Arizona, and he wouldn't he wouldn't come on my daily program. And he sent his assistant coach, Vic Clark, who ended up being the holdover coach. And so I asked Dick, being a young journalist, well, Vic, how do you get your team ready to play Northern Arizona this weekend when the word on the street is that you guys are fired? I I actually asked him that. (laughs) And uh, it was the question everybody wanted asked, but everybody was afraid to ask. He was at the station before I got off the air asking for my head. (laughs) <laughs> and fortunately enough, the uh, the person that uh, was running the station at the time knew nothing about football. And all she knew when I came back was, you sure made some guy mad that was in here. <laughs> so it wasn't like he came in, came in the door with, with his guns blazing. So I dodged the bullet on that one, and uh, and away we went. I didn't know Don when he was at, uh, at Portland State or, of course, at, at the University of Oregon. But I sure knew of his reputation of being just a class guy. So there you go, a little snippet of Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions, Episode 1 with Mick Holine. Uh, that will be out later on this evening. Uh, you can go now to grizzgreats.com. Uh, you can check it out on Spotify and on our website, 1029ESPN.com, and listen uh, to the podcast. Uh, we have Coulter's and my little introductory podcast there to the whole series, kind of try and set the table for it a little bit, and then uh, Mick Holine will be available later on. Grizz Grace, the silver anniversary of the 1995 champions, brought to us in part by First Security Bank. In 1993, when the Grizz football team was trying to host its first home playoff game, former First Security Bank president Bill Boshi spearheaded a group of local business owners who guaranteed the bid for UM Athletics. That commitment from First Security Bank to UM Athletics has never wavered. Two years later, in 1995, the University of Montana turned in that local optimism into national prominence when the Grizzlies won the Division I AA National Championship. And 25 years later, First Security Bank is proud to sponsor Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions, a 25-part podcast series remembering that epic season. First Security Bank, a proud supporter of Grizz Athletics and the University of Montana. Quick break on the other side. We keep having some fun. The Chick Who Doesn't Know Sports. A special Wednesday appearance next. Welcome back to Tell Nuanas, 1029 ESPN Radio. At Gus Tutel on Twitter. At Skyline Sports MT on Twitter. At 1029 ESPN on Twitter. The Chick Who Doesn't Know Sports, presented by the Iron Grizz American Bistro. Carolyn, hi. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. It's nice to see you in the middle of the week. Outstanding. How are you? Happy hump day. <laughs> you bet. That's great. Funny. Guess what day so it is. Hilarious. Starting very strong, Carolyn, Thank as you. well. I know. As I like always. to come in hot. Yeah. All right. Uh, what's going on here in the uh, middle of the week? <laughs> well, 
Last week, I announced my comeback to tennis. <laughs> it, I and understand, you're 1-0. I understand it hit a little bit of a hiccup. Hit a, hit a little bit of a hiccup as I dumped hot bacon grease on my foot mm. over the weekend. You know, we've had, I, I remember, I think it was a basketball player who missed time, or maybe football player because of a fondue accident, poured hot cheese. I think it was like a kicker. Don't. <laughs> You're welcome. Isn't that supposed to be my line, Coulter? Am I not supposed to be the one doing the puns I mean, around here? Every time I feel old, I think, nope, this is what being old is actually like. <laughs> Rude. Uh. Dad jokes, mom jokes. Here we are. Um, any case, somebody was injured sneezing, like hurt, like really wound up and like was me. pulled a That's thing. No, a professional thing. athlete. Oh. Same difference. You. Yes. But the point is, <laughs> sorry, we make fun of all these people for like, how could you miss like a major league baseball game because you sneezed in the morning? But no, like, yeah, you get up, you knock over the pan and now you got a cooked foot of bacon grease and you can't play in your flex doubles tennis league. I know. I had to postpone my match. Awful. Till tomorrow night. And I don't know how it's going to work out. Man. Well, we'll, we can't wait till next week to find out if you were able to play through the pain. Uh, Maybe I'll blog about it. (laughs) I mean, you know, I I smashed my head open on the bottom of Flathead a couple weeks ago. It's not even close to the worst self-inflicted injury I've had in my adult life. My worst injury was when I f- slipped in the shower in Boise when you and I were together. Yeah. Smashed my elbow. So, I mean, my whole elbow. I thought I broke my arm. Dude, it's go, unbelievable. Going down in the shower is... You, it ain't good. You got mm-hmm. problems. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, and, I, and I was all alone in the hotel room, so I'm sure all the neighboring hotel people were like, this guy's getting murdered. Yeah. Just screaming at the top of my lungs yeah. like... Falling and I can't get up, dude. Do we need to get you one of those necklace buttons that you could push immediately <laughs> for That's like a a, idea. Uh, help? Uh, if I ever have to wear one of those, I hope it's attached to a needle that then just kills you. But Coulter, puts me out of my misery. The, here's the thing. Here's the problem. You already need one. Like there's no no question. no no no. Yes no. yes. No, no, you no. are bumbling around the world and constantly self injuring. Sure, but I always can get up. I mean, to date. That is true, but there, your day is coming. Yeah, maybe. You're getting older. My dad uh, dropped the tree okay. on his leg over like a week ago. He didn't have the he didn't have the button. Okay, so I have a question for you, Carolyn. First of all, you can brag about this to your tennis friends because the worst injury I believe Venus Williams or excuse me Serena Williams has ever suffered was when she cut her foot super bad. Right? Do I don't remember this. No, I don't remember this. She, she, I can't remember the exact details, but it was either before or after her, her pregnancy, which was the one thing that had delayed her career uh, prior to that. Yeah. And then she I, she cut her foot really bad in some form or fashion mm. in some random way. But you share a foot ailment, self-inflicted. And also tennis Williams. excellence. All I share with Yeah, you. that's right. Well, that's why, that was my question. <laughs> that was my question is two parts. Who is your favorite women's tennis player of all time? Hmm, and who is question. the greatest women's tennis player of all time? I know who my favorite one is to say. Who? Martina Navratilova. Oh. Because Navratilova. I cannot say it correctly. Well, I did do a freshman report in high school on Chris Everett Lloyd. Mm, she was great. my all-time favorite. I Classy loved, lady. She's a class act. Um, I loved Monica Seles. Certainly. She was great. Um... I mean, obviously, the Williams sisters are just insane. Well, yeah, talented. I don't know how. You, how you, yeah, I mean, there there is a, there is actually a right answer here, and that is it. 
Serena Williams is the greatest woman's athlete of all time, in my personal opinion. Right, that's what I'm saying. I yeah, mean, as, I mean yeah. not just greatest tennis player; she's the greatest female I, athlete. I, I, I will not, I will not argue you on that point. And yeah, she's just pretty, pretty sweet. Anyway, there. Uh, yeah, we and wish Carolyn you the best Buster, tomorrow night, uh, Carolyn. Thank were you sure. into tennis when you were like in the height of your? She tennis played career? in college. I know, but like, were you like into following it? Oh yeah, because I, I mean, that's certainly it's funny because the Williams sisters have dominated so much the last 15 years that. This has not been the golden age of women's tennis only because they've made everybody else in their their peer group irrelevant. When you were coming up, that was like the golden age of women's oh, tennis, yeah. though, because it was Chris right Everett, after Chris Everett, Monica Never, Never Trilovas, Monica Sellis, Steffi Graf. Jennifer Capriotti. Jennifer, oh, I love Jennifer Capriotti. Anna Kornikova. Did I ever tell you my Jennifer Capriotti story? No, let's go. Were you in a club with Rodman and Shaq and she walked in, too? No, but I was at tennis camp at Notre Dame, you know, yeah, University the of. The golden age. <laughs> And um, I don't believe it's it the was, University of Notre Dame, just it for the record. <laughs> Notre Dame University? I thought maybe? it was University of Notre Dame. No. Uh, oh, my bad. Anyway, <laughs> I was walking with my high brown-haired ponytail. It was 1990. Jennifer Capriotti was pretty much like at the height. It was before she had her fall from grace with her kleptomaniac situation. These things happen. And I walked by this dorm that was being re- renovated, and all these... Got college guys were like painting and whatever, and they they yelled, "Oh my God, it's Jennifer Capriotti!" Because they thought I was Jennifer Capriotti. Wow! So I waved and said, "Hey!" And that was that. <laughs> <laughs> and the then story. you went and got actually famous on the radio. In and Montana. then look at me now. Yeah. See, uh, there is That's a kind of, resemblance. Kind of resemblance. Yeah, yeah, certainly. To you, we're looking at pictures of Jennifer, Jennifer Capriotti. Capriotti. Uh, do you have anything else for us today? Uh, We've got yeah, yes, a little long here. Uh, Usain Bolt. Yes, Usain Bolt. Got the got the Rona. Is that right? Yes. I had not heard it. And uh, he had a party, maskless party last weekend. This does not surprise me. And he got it. Well, we wish him the best. NBC News posted the story about it with a picture of Kevin Hart. <laughs> what? Just fun fact. Yes, instead of I mean that's Usain not a Bolt. near miss. Right. I mean, it's not even like they were next to each other in the alphabet and you just accidentally clicked on the wrong picture of guys next to each other. I mean, I don't, there's so much wrong with it that I can't even. Yeah. That's anyway. a <laughs> pretty significant failure on the part of the reporting there or the story from NBC. Yeah. Way to go, NBC News. All right. There's probably some intern. You know. Okay. There is no little job in the um, world of journalism. Remember the guy I told you about last week? Um, the Seahawks that was snuck in a girl into the hotel room. Yes, and he wrote a very long apology. I mean, why you got to steal my thunder? That was oh. my that was my story. Go ahead, I'll edit it out. He wrote a long apology. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> so, what does that mean? I don't, means, th- I don't think you're going to apologize your way back onto the roster. Well, no, I don't. I think that's his hope. Well, of course it's his hope. I mean, yeah. there's no other option. Sorry, and it ain't happening. I did read the apology, and it was you know. Uh, about as good an apology as you could get out there. Uh, He's not trying to get onto the Seahawks roster, my guess at this point, though he did, according to the story, uh, apologize prior to releasing the apology directly to Pete Carroll and John Schneider. The idea here would be with the hope to perhaps land on another roster somewhere showing that you are a reformed person and will not be, uh, you know, welcoming people into whatever bubble each team is trying to remain within during this time. How do you guys feel about this? 
I, uh, I, mean, I, I don't have I don't have via zero. I got okay. no feelings about. This. I think that uh, it's a cop out story. The kid was going to get cut anyways, right? I mean, almost certainly. Like yeah. you know, if another player, if DK Metcalf tried this same shenanigan, he would not be on the street, right? Russell yeah. so, Wilson, Bobby Wagner, sure. But they also probably wouldn't even have to sneak him in because Bobby Wagner would just be like. Or, I mean, Russell Wilson, we know he's married. He would just be like, hey, my wife's going to come in. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a whole different deal. That's why he chose DK Metcalf. I mean, I don't know what his relational status is, but he's a young guy, you know? Right, right. But he's also a uh, presumably significant part of the Seattle Seahawks offense this upcoming season. This other fella, and I'm sorry to do this to you, but I don't even know this guy's name. Exactly. So, uh, you know, it's what it is. Okay. Good talk. Okay, so basketball cards... On the rise. Whoa, so you just cards. walked right into Coulter's wheelhouse right here. Let's go. So LeBron James rookie card sold for guess how much? How much? $1.8 million. What? Which version of the rookie? Oh, come on. Now you need me Mike to do Trout's research. My Trout's autograph rookie sold for three point nine yesterday. $3.9 million. million. <clears throat> They're yeah. saying these are good for some of these person. cards are not really worth that because... There's just this explosion sort of I would take, housing market I would here. take a stab and say, none of these cards are actually worth anything. Well, I mean, yes. But then you could go all the way down the rabbit hole and say, nothing is actually worth anything. That's right. And everything is worth whatever someone will pay for it. That's exactly right. If someone wanted that hat off your head and they wanted to pay a million dollars for it, it's worth a million dollars, even though if it's only probably worth ten dollars. Well, it's but that's the point is it's not worth a million dollars. I just happen to get a million dollars for it. But something's worth what somebody will pay for it. No, right? it's not. <laughs> All right. Well, listen. Intrinsic and extrinsic values are very different things. Mm. They're saying there's this surge in cards not seen since the eighties. Mm. Because people, I think, are just bored. You know why? It's because Colton Elon has been pushing this mm. thing for the last nine months year or so and uh i've i've opened more packs of cards and i am starting to catch the fever i must say it do is a fun thing to open do you still get up. the hard bubble bubble oh my god no they I don't have <laughs> they don't have gum in there anymore no. i guess they thought it was ruining it i thought it ruined the gum it came out like in Cardboard. just chalky pieces yeah. <laughs> and like you'd still, still just throw it, it yeah. down and then try and recreate it into like mm-hmm. one singular piece. piece yeah and then the flavor went away within 10 seconds certainly um but anyway, if you have cards laying around, you, you sell. sell, 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 it's a sellers market. Colter, you want to put my, uh, you want to put my folder of cards, the only cards I have on the market for me. Can you do that? I am currently in the midst of a project going through all my baseball cards. I spent five hours doing it last night. I am probably up to about 110 hours worth of reorganization thus far, making albums of all the most prestigious and prominent players that I have in my collection. Nerd alert. And I have two binders, <laughs> two binders right now that are full of all the great players from of my lifetime, basically, from Derek Jeter to Cal Ripken Jr. to Tony Gwynn to Ken Griffey Jr. to Alex Rodriguez to Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, Barry Bonds. The great players of your generation. Roger Clemens, yeah. everybody. And I, I don't know, man. I, I'm so interested to see what I can sell these for. I think the way to, to start, the way to do it now, it used to be everybody wanted the full set. Having the full set is not relevant or valuable anymore. Now it's all about having, it's exactly what we're talking about. It's about the target market is finding someone. individual that wants that thing you Someone that loves Ken Griffith Jr. is going to pay you 
500 bucks for your 25 Ken Griffey Jr. cards that are going to send them to him in a pristine album. So, will you sell them? Uh, Is I, that your plan? I'm going to I'm going to sell the the slight majority. Okay. Right. Well, you keep a surprise. There's some that I want to keep for uh, both just nostalgic value or nostalgic attachment as well as uh, historical value. I do think that sports cards is a great way to teach kids about the history of sports. So I will not sell all my Michael Jordan cards. I will not sell all my You have Kobe Michael Bryant. Jordan cards? I have probably 65 Michael Jordan cards. I bet you I have close to $5,000 worth of Michael Jordan cards. I'm probably going to sell... I'm probably going to... I'm probably going to sell, I would say I'm going to sell between 45 and 50 of the 65 that I have. And I'm going to keep 15 because they we're going to continue to increase in value, but also that I just can't get like the five, the five alpha beta card that I have of Michael Jordan. It's like a one out of 10 of him in college at North Carolina. And what like, if you find out it. it's worth $500,000? Oh, then I'm selling it okay. and I'll see you guys in Aruba. Okay. I'm just making sure I want to make sure your head's on straight here because that's ridiculous. Uh, Carolyn? Yeah. This has been really a lot of fun as, as always. always. Jinx. Whoa. whoa. <laughs> uh, amazing. I guess this jinx comes with uh, wine and appetizer at the Iron Grizz. Our thanks to the Iron Grizz for sponsoring, as always, the chick who doesn't know sports. Thank you, Carolyn. Thank you. Well, you're very welcome. And for those of you who, uh, you know, would like to get yourself a nice appetizer and a bottle of wine, give us a call. 361-3688. 361-3688. The Iron Grizz hooking you up with a nice date evening, maybe a solo evening, you know? Some people don't like to eat alone, Coulter. There's nothing I want more than to eat alone. You put me on the patio at the Iron Grizz with a bottle of wine and an appetizer, I'll get myself a meal, and it's going to be the greatest night of my you know, week for sure. So tell them about the Iron Grizz, though, and American Bistro doing it the right way. Great food. If you're going to go by yourself, you can borrow a book from me. I got plenty that I think would be worth reading for you sports fans out there. And if you want to share with somebody else, that's great, too. Uh, free appetizer and a free bottle of wine if you give us a call right now, 361-3688. The appetizers of the Iron Grills are delicious. You have fried okra, arugula bruschetta. The arugula is grown right in their garden out front. Buttermilk biscuits, which are great to pair with any of the Cajun dishes from Chef Jesse. And their wine is awesome. They have a great wine selection as well. So you're going to get a full bottle of wine and a free appetizer from the Iron Grills if you give us a call right now. What precedes Touffet? Atouffet. Atouffet. <laughs> Oh, man, it's so good. It's too telling the one. Boys and girls, get yourself over to the Iron Grizz right there at the uh, University Golf Course on South Avenue. A great, great spot and uh, a very enjoyable experience to sit there on an evening. 361-3688 for the appetizer and the bottle of wine. Hour one in the books, hour two straight ahead. We are going to uh, hit a high water mark with this one. Will Cherry joins us on the ESPN Roundtable next. It's finally starting to feel like winter around here, and if you need some nice winter gear, how about the fine folks at Sitka? They make awesome winter clothes, and they sell custom Bobcat Sitka gear at the MSU Bookstore. You can shop online anytime at msubookstore.org, or of course you can check out the MSU Bookstore live and in person there on the Montana State campus. They also have some graduation regalia back in order there at the MSU Bookstore. They have an awesome American Indian Council selection as well. Visit on campus anytime you need blue and gold or visit online anytime, anywhere, msubookstore.org. 
MSU Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day located there on the Montana State campus.